Hello, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Last week, we brought you news of the MV Portland crew sacked and replaced by a foreign crew on a flag of convenient ship. The MUA and supporters held a successful rally in Portland on the 25th and are maintaining their picket for Australian jobs. Senator Jackie Lambie gave us the quote of the week in response to the federal government's special arrangement with Alcoa, giving the company the right to jettison Australian workers from the MV Portland and a local shipping route. She said the government was acting against the intentions of the Senate and, frankly, the Senate was sick of being bitch-slapped by the government. This might be a good sign as the government continues on its mission to introduce anti-union legislation to the Parliament. In the tugboat dispute, where the workers were to decide if they were going to take their employer Danish company Spitzer's offer of a single award for engineers, skippers and deckhands, the engineers lost out to the other two areas of the voters and uh, they're going to take Spitzer's offer. Time will tell if the members were right to appease their employer. Please, sir, I want some more. What? What? Like the Charles Dickens book, Oliver Twist, where little Oliver has to ask for more while the poorhouse administration siphons off any financial fat, the Turnbull federal government has maintained the rage against the poor and workers with two big examples. The first, the attack on penalty rates for hospitality and cleaning staff, Scott Connolly from the ACTU has this to say about that particular issue. We have uh, you know, certainly uh, a number of employers and certainly a number of members of this government you have a view that workers in this country don't have rights anymore. And if they do, they shouldn't have them anymore. And they are you know, cer- certainly aggressively on a path and they're backing it up with the report you know, released late last year by the Productivity Commission that those rights that some workers do do continue to enjoy, including the right to, to appropriate penalty rates on weekends, um, and, and beyond that, should be removed. Um, yeah, so this is nothing but uh, a, a, an aggressive attack yeah, by employers and by elements of this government to take away those remaining rights of Australian workers. And it comes from an attitude um, that we've seen expressed by this executive at Patrick's and evidenced by these terrible events down at Portland a few days ago that that some employers have an attitude that workers don't have rights and they shouldn't be given respect and dignity and they should be be treated like we'd expect to be treated ourselves uh, in their work, in their work and their workplace. So it's a a terrible indictment on Australian society today and an appalling indictment on the state of our government where they, they think it's okay for them to use taxpayers' money to commission a report that suggests that one group of workers in this country are better than another and that those workers should be entitled to less money for performing exactly the same work just because it's on another day of the week. It's an absolutely outrageous state of affairs to have you know, 
21st century Australian politicians suggesting that there's two class of workers in this country. And the other little matter for the Turnbull government has been a draconian attack on the most vulnerable in society as he lays down the foundations for the basic card to cover all Social Security recipients. You might remember in the John Howard era, the basic card was used to quarantine the majority of income of Indigenous Australians in the Northern Territory as part of the intervention. It was ostensibly to protect children from parents who spent their money on alcohol or gambling, but actually it was used against all Indigenous people and required the suspension of the Racial Discrimination Act to do it. This basic card is now being called the Healthy Welfare EPOS card. It is being trialled in five locations in Australia with the signs that it is expected to be rolled out across regional Australia. Welcome to the Basically Fucked card. The Basically Fucked card is an ineffective and humiliating way for the government to give you almost no choice about how you use your income managed money. After proving so successful at f***ing with the lives of Indigenous Australians in the Northern Territory, the basically f***ed card will be coming soon to a postcode near you. We are trialling it now in five handy locations so poor whites and migrants can be basically f***ed too. So here's exactly how you'll be basically f***ed. We'll take 50 to 70% of your income and tell you what you can and can't do with it. Forget the local market, second-hand store, or other local small businesses. If they're not on our approved list, you're both fucked. So we can fuck you over more effectively, you'll need to hand over intimate details about your private life to us, either in person or via our call centre. We say we can't afford to raise payments, but we'll spend five to $7,000 per cardholder per year to remove your rights, invade your privacy, and punish the poor for our past policy fuck-ups. If you receive a new start allowance of $246 per week, we'll spend an additional $152 per week to administer you. The good news is, We don't charge transaction fees for the humiliation and economic segregation that comes free with your basically f***ed card. Although the majority of people we have basically f***ed are black, over 90% in fact, we're not showing you their faces in this promotional video, so here's a white middle class woman with a MacBook instead. We're not racist, but we did have to suspend the Racial Discrimination Act to get this law through Parliament. Even the UN complained, so to prove we're not racist, we're expanding the system to fuck you all. John Citizen, parody of the Human Services Department information clip for users of the basic card. It generally explains the prohibitions placed on people's social security payments, up to 80% of money only available to purchase household items at specific big stores that are part of the government scheme and house a purpose-built EPOS machine with a difference. It won't give money. The government persists in its description that the card is to stop antisocial behaviour such as buying tobacco, alcohol or gambling, despite it already having the authority to target people with issues providing for their children 
or those who go on the scheme voluntarily. Another aspect to this is that if you travel anywhere, you need to notify Centrelink so your card can operate outside your normal terrain. I spoke to Owen Bennett from the Unemployed Workers' Union. First of all, I think it's important to recognise that the Healthy Welfare Card is actually proposed solely by a billionaire, Andrew Forrest. And it's something that I think is, isn't really talked about enough, that basically this billionaire started lobbying the government to change the basics card, which he didn't think was went far enough, and he was lobbying very strongly throughout the government to push it harder because the basics card, just to give a bit of background, that only um, cut off 50% of your of your new start um, payment onto a card and left the other 50% in terms of cash. But the basic, the um, healthy welfare card, which um, yeah, that name, I, I won't even start with that name. Um, the healthy welfare card um, that cuts off 80% of your new start payment and only 20% is available in cash, which gives people about $120 cash per fortnight in their pocket, so $60 cash a week. So that's something that this billionaire has just come in and imposed on, on the government and his, his friends in the coalition party. What was that all about? Why, why was a billionaire mining magnate being asked to come up with plans for how to run the social welfare system in Australia? You ask a good question, you know, this billionaire, Andrew Forrest, I mean, he clearly has a vested interest in this card, and that's why he pushed for it so hard, because most capitalists generally, they want to see governments coming down hard on on the unemployed and on, on Social Security as a whole, because what that does, in the long run, um, it forces people off Newstart, because they find Newstart so objectionable and so hard to, to really get by, and not to mention all the all the psychological uh, abuse that they have to endure, you know, especially with something like um, income management or healthy welfare card, with the sense of you know, the, the loss of control and the shame and the unfairness of, of having their money taken away from them and spent only in areas that the government approves. So all these things are designed to really make it very difficult to, to collect a Social Security benefit as an unemployed worker. And then these people then are more... Encouraged to take a job, any job, you know, and what that does is it means that you know, the it, it places a strong downward pressure on wages and conditions as more and more unemployed workers are desperate to get any work they possibly can just to avoid the abuse and the discrimination of um, of an unemployment entitlement. Looking at some of the responses that on uh, news feeds, some people have just said, "Just get a job, get a job." But as other people have responded to those uh, straight out, just get a job sort of uh, thing, you're malingerous, uh, is that some people can't actually just go and get a job. We've got one, we've got an issue of uh, unemployment and two, we have an issue of people who are on pensions for quite justified reasons. Yes, it's it's a real classic um, example of government misdirection where they they quite skillfully really, have managed to shift the blame away from them and onto the unemployed workers themselves. I mean, I, I find it um, really quite shocking that the government has managed to really escape unscathed from what they're criticising as entrenched poverty and um, you know intergenerational social security dependence and things like this. And by introducing a card like this, they're basically saying it's the fault of the unemployed workers themselves 
for not going and getting a job. And that's why we have, we have to do things like this to stop them. You know, we have to save them from themselves. Otherwise, they're going to be alcoholics or they're going to be drug addicts, etc. But they never turn around. They never stop and think that maybe it's the fact that New Start is three hundred and eighty-one dollars below the poverty line per fortnight that people are in this situation, or that the unemployment crisis, which successive governments have failed to address, where there are now eleven job seekers competing for every job vacancy, or then, but then there's the housing problem we're in right now in Australia, where uh, there's a recent study um, looked at sixty thousand properties and found that only less than one percent were affordable. A single person on Newstart. So all these things compound the Newstart recipients to push them and push them down into this uh, deep, extreme, entrenched poverty. And then the government, as a response, it says, "Well, we need to do something about this poverty, which is creating um, addiction and all sorts of problems, which always come with poverty. We need to make it harder for them to to." Um, by the substances in which they're addicted to, has been proven not to work anyway on this card. So it's just, it, it's, I think that's the real main political purpose of this card, is to shift the blame away from government and onto the unemployed workers themselves. There's, they're really playing to the gallery by doing that, because they know there's lots of people in the media, especially the big media, are going to push this for the same reason that Andrew Twiggy Forrest, the billionaire, pushed this in the first place, because it's always in business interest to push down unemployed workers. This government and many governments have have a reputation for uh, liking the silver bullet answers to complicated issues, uh, generally uh, oversimplistic. Now, originally that basic card, which was uh, the precursor to this card, was used in the uh, Howard government period for the uh, Northern Territory intervention, and then it moved on to the government saying that it was going to uh, take it to the election. It, it's another one of the things that it's going to take to the election. This proposed cashless card actually could breach the right to privacy and indirectly discriminate against Indigenous people, women and people with disabilities. And this is uh, according to the Bipartisan Human Rights Committee. Uh, and it's become a serious thing where this particular committee has uh, gone to the minister and said, prove to us that it's not the case, that it doesn't uh, discriminate, doesn't uh, attack fundamental citizens' rights. This whole income management program, which, as you say, was first introduced in 2007 with the, uh, with the government intervention in Northern Territory, it's all un- unfairly discriminates against Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. I mean, that's in the history of, of social security in this country. They always first approach these Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander areas as like um, kind of testing ground for these cruel and unusual policies. And then once that get, that, that gets a run, um, and you know, it, it becomes more accepted like that. And it's kind of the thin end of the wedge when that happens. And I think that it's a real it's a real shame of the left, really, that that in in Australia we didn't come down hard when it was first introduced and say, no, this is a breach of for all these reasons that that I was mentioning before, of blame shifting and and oppression of, of unemployed workers, and now we're in the position where you know six, uh, ten years on, nine years on, and of course the government's expanding it because there was no there was no effective resistance up you know up until now, and now it's, it's that they want to expand it 
across all these rural areas. They want to, as you said, take it to the election, and they want it to affect around 100,000 people, and they, they want to make this one of their big flagship policies. And we're, we're you know, to, to fight against this, we're already sort of um, on the back foot because it's been around for so long and people are familiar with it. But if we came hard in the beginning in support of our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, then it would have changed the whole the whole nature of this debate. But um, unfortunately, um, that didn't happen, and now we really have to come in hard and 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 really go against um, the, the, these punitive policies and and not just look at the at the basics card, but the whole and the healthy welfare cap, but the whole system of social security in this country where it doesn't acknowledge the government's failure to create work and to have a uh, living wage for a new staff benefit. As I said before, $381 per fortnight below the poverty line. Yes, well, I, I think ultimately it's a sign of desperation from the government because they know that if the working... If the people who have jobs and people who don't have jobs... Um, unite under a common banner for dignity for all and for fair wages for all, then the government is in, you know, is going to be under a lot of pressure and it's going to be very hard for them to um, please their, their, their business lobbyists like people like Andrew Forrest and make sure wages don't grow. I mean, that's the important thing. We really have to acknowledge that an attack on unemployed workers is an attack on unemployed workers and vice versa. And... This is what the government has been doing ever since it, it really um, increased in the late 70s when the government abandoned its policy of full employment. And a lot of people don't remember that, but in Australia we had full employment where between 1945 and 1973 unemployment pretty much never got above 2%, and that was con considered full employment. But then after the 70s, um, there was a big shift in, in the dominant economic management in the Western countries, and then they started allowing unemployment to go 6%, 7%, 8%. And then in that time, they, they needed to try and blame someone for why these unemployed people existed at all and why they didn't exist before. And then the, the myth of the doll budget was created by Malcolm Fraser in the 80s. And then it's perpetuated and perpetuated. And it, it's been, it's been a, a feat of, of amazing marketing, really, that they managed to spin this idea of a doll budget so much to get working people, um, people in jobs, so... Um, such with such vicious hatred towards unemployed workers for no reason, even though they've got much more in common than they don't have in common. And that's the thing. If they treat unemployed workers well, workers will gain from that because wages will grow at a, at a faster rate. That's the important thing. And that's what we need to do in this country, in the unemployed workers' unions. What we're pushing for is to try to bridge those divides between employed and unemployed workers and fight... Um, that single struggle for, as I said before, dignity and a fair wage for all. Of course, people who would say receiving a benefit means a person forfeits their rights to privacy because they should go and get a job are blind to the fact that some people are on benefits for other reasons. I spoke to Marissa, a sight-impaired woman, for her take on the Healthy Welfare FPOST card. As a vision-impaired woman... I think for me, the way it, I feel that it would impact on blind people um, as as a community is that it's it's important to realise that you know you've you've got a lot of a lot of shoddy um, laws in regards to the Equal Opportunity Act that there, we really don't have a lot to um, stand by in terms of the legislation. 
Um, so we, we really have a lot of a lack of protection about discriminations. I'm mentioning this because, the, you know, vision-impaired people have it tough um, to start off with in that way and, and also looking at um, being able to um, afford technology, Braille technology that's important for work as well. For exa- to, to use that as an example. So really it's quite offensive for the government to speak about um, looking at, at this situation where, you're gonna, where they're going to be taking money out. The cost of disability is already enormous, you know, <clears throat> using the example around um, not only technology but also getting taxis. A lot of the time public transport isn't accessible. And I suppose I just wanted to go a step further and talk about those costs and, you know, they're, they're saying that it's linked to alcohol and gambling. Well, hello, you know, there are lots of people um, with disabilities that, that are professionals. Well, you, you see, know? the thing is that uh, to even with the intervention, it was proven that uh, the uh, quarantining of people's money, and it was supposed to be around the welfare of children, that that quarantining of money process was actually not just for people who had children. It happened to people across the board. So this uh, business about having a cashless card for people on different benefits is said to be to curtail uh, socially uh, maladjusted behaviour, but in actual (laughs) fact, it's not fit for purpose because it's going to affect everybody. That's right. So how is all that, uh, the question I'd like to put out to listeners is how is all that compatible with human rights? You know, they always say that, you know, a lot's changed, but I don't think so. I don't believe that in some ways a lot has changed. You know, we've got all the new technology, but how do you afford it? Braille technology costs thousands of dollars. Why can't they put money into those programs? And now I'm not suggesting that people with disabilities need to get a free lunch. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's important that the government invests things in programs to improve things for people with disabilities rather than, um, you know, quarantining them. It just, it just doesn't make sense. The outcomes are, are quite interesting because what you've got is people who have got a very limited income, very limited income, having a, uh, 80% of it being quarantined. The government has said that it's not, this proposed debit card is not an extension of income management, but of course it will by the very fact that people have to go to certain places. And I'm quite interested in the designated shops which are supposed to be recipients of all this social security funding. So this will be a massive influx in their coffers. Absolutely. So why is it why is it necessary? It's because the actual management of the system will add a cost to the government. So it's not possible for this not to be considered to be a way of in, uh, imprisoning uh, people who of uh, who are on benefits. Look, it really isn't, and all I can say is um, welcome to colonisation because 
what I believe is that Aboriginal people were treated like flora and fauna by the government and it started off being them being used as guinea pigs just like 1788 when Aboriginal people used to get rationed um, sugar and flour. It's the same type of thing. Their, their payments are being quarantined and suspension of the Racial Discrimination Act and now it's being extended to, um, to everybody that's on welfare. I do not accept that there is underlying racism country. I have always taken a more optimistic view of the character of This week, calls by black activists and their supporters for Australia Day to change its state so that the Indigenous people of this land are not expected to celebrate a day of mourning were heard by thousands. Invasion Day rallies were held in cities across the land with thousands in Melbourne joining a smoking ceremony and speeches on the steps of Parliament, followed by a march along Swanston Street, stopping outside the Town Hall to amaze spectators, left after the official Australia Day parade. Be warned, White Butcher, the Black Quislings. Today, the Black Phoenix has arisen. Today we're here with... Um, in partnership with other Aboriginal groups, organised a memorial rally and march um, to remember all Aboriginal people that have been fallen victim to acts of genocide throughout the history of colonial Australia. You won't take the fire out of me. No. I will rise again and again yep. until I have defeated you. Right. Not with guns, not with diseases, not with chemicals, not with bombs, but with time. For soon, your world will crumble. Yeah. invasion um, has been illegal, like in Canada, New Zealand and the US. Colonisation is a human issue that a lot of Indigenous peoples around the world face and this is something that we won't, we won't assimilate and we won't celebrate Australia Day. Because we're not Australian. You have been appointed your own executioner. We, the blacks of the earth, are rising to witness the, the spectacle of your self-destruction. And when you have completed your destiny, we will go among the ruins and heal and mend your victims. And then it will be as it was before your rampage. I'm Gundich Mara and Gunai. Those are my nations. Aboriginal is also a post-colonial term, but I don't mind being called Aboriginal. There's no point in the history where any of my ancestors or my parents or my family have ever said, uh, yeah, we're Australian now, after you massacred everyone, and people call ourselves Australian. It doesn't really make sense. It's like you wouldn't expect the Palestinian people to start calling themselves Israeli. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Scott Connolly, Little Oliver, Owen Bennett, Marissa, Robbie Thorpe and Marika for talking to us today. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au 
and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 039419 8377. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Catch you next time.